I'm really relaxed and looking forward to this week. Uh, not because um, I've got any great talks up my sleeve. It's the same jokes and the same stories you've heard, those of you that have been around a million times, probably. Uh, it's not because of that. It's because, it's because a touch from heaven changes everything. A touch from heaven changes us. Revelation is something that comes from heaven. And we're going to do our best. We, we have prepared some stuff. We have. But we know that it's not, you know, the, 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 there's, you could go to conferences with much better speakers. <laughs> you could go to conferences that are, are much more glitzy than this. Although they made this look quite good, actually. Uh, and all of that, it's, 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 it's not that. It's either Jesus breathes on us or he doesn't. On, uh, on Saturday night, we had, um, uh, we had a celebration here with young people, and uh, uh, there was a whole bunch of them here, and 11 gave their lives to Jesus for the first time, which is always the best. But you know, one of the things that happened was, um, uh, was this, at the end, this youth leader came up to me, actually our sound guy, Harvey, um, it, it was your old youth leader when you were a young person. Is that right? Yeah. And his youth leader came up to me, old youth leader, with a young person from the youth group, with a guy who looked like he might have been about 17, although when you get older, you can't tell. Uh, and, uh, and they were really excited. And um, he said to me, his arms were full of scars. They were full of scars. And somewhere in the worship, the scars disappeared. Somewhere as we were worshiping, Jesus healed his scars. And do you know what? I'd love to say, well, we prayed beforehand, Lord, as we worship, would you just, would you just heal scars? Would you just do that? We didn't pray that. It never even occurred to us. It was he took us by surprise. How did you do that, Lord? How did you flipping do that, Lord? He, honestly, that, the last few years have been a delight for me because it's just going around in wonder. And my, the, the main question I ask Jesus all the time is, how on earth did you do that, Lord? And that's not the first time. Do you know what? It's, it, it's, it's a recurring pattern where we've known at our summer events, there was, there was one time a few years ago, I think it was um, a bunch of guys came up to me at the end of a meeting, and they were all excited, and they said their friend has, was full of scars, and they just disappeared in the worship, and they were all saying, we know, it's true, it's true, we know, we saw the scars, we saw the scars, and I was like, I believe you, I believe you. And while that was happening, I think there was a bunch of girls round the side telling Ali the same thing. One of them, all the scars had gone. Isn't that wonderful? When he does it without us asking, when all we ask is, all we say is, how on earth did you do that, Lord? How on earth did you do that, Lord? Well, he does it sovereignly, and he does do it sovereignly, but there's also a few things that, guess what we can do to put ourselves in the place where he's more likely to move. And uh, the first one is from a commandment from Jesus uh, right at the beginning of the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus has uh, risen from the dead and he's appeared a number of times uh, to the disciples Um, uh, uh, and uh, spoke to them and gave them convincing proofs, it says, that he was alive over 40 days. And then in verse 4, we read this. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
Now, I don't know, I'm not a theologian. I'm just a very old youth worker, okay? So I'm not sure I'm on uh, solid ground here, but I'm not sure if God can get frustrated or not. Theologically, I'm not sure if, you know, omniscient, omnipotent God can get frustrated. But if he can, if he can, this was a time when he got really flipping frustrated. He says to them, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the gift my Father gave, is giving to you, the Holy Spirit. Wait here until he comes. And then they gather around and they say, uh, can you tell us the dates when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And I think I can detect a little bit of frustration in Jesus' reply. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates. Guys, That's not the point. I've just told you to flipping wait here until the Holy Spirit comes, and you're asking me about dates. You're asking me about other things. Stay here. Don't move. Stay. Stay until the Holy Spirit comes. Then you will have power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I suspect that Jesus gets frustrated with his church today just as much. He says, wait for me, wait on me, wait upon me, and we want to do everything else. We want to we wanna organize, we want to activate, we want to learn this thing and go there, and, and we want to understand that, and, 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 and I, I'm, I'm for theology, I really am. I'm for, we need, to, we need to be obedient and do what he tells us, but guys, there's no substitute for waiting. We either do it in his strength or we do it in our strength, and once you've done it enough in your strength, you realize there has to be a better way. And in these days, there are loads of Christians and loads of churches that are even being successful that are saying, there's got to be something more than this. There's got to be something more. There's got to be, there's, and, and it's about waiting for him. It's being filled with him. It's being transformed by him. It's being equipped by him. It's about getting your marching orders from him. In John chapter 5, after uh, Jesus healed the guy at the pool of Bethesda, and there was a whole bunch of, of crippled people around the pool. There was loads of them, but Jesus went to this one guy, and he said, do you want to be, be healed? And then he heals him. And then afterwards, he explains in his teaching later on in the chapter, he says, I only do what I see my father doing. Now, if, if Jesus needed to do that, how much more should we? Father, what are you doing? That should be our question. From first thing in the morning to last thing at night. Father, what are you doing? Show me what you're doing that I may join in. I, I, I tell you, I wasted so many years of my life telling Jesus what I wanted to do and asking him to bless it. It's so much more fun finding out what he's doing and blessing that. Finding out what he's doing and joining in with him. And it begins, it begins with waiting. It begins with waiting for him to fill you, for him to transform you. And do you know, the people that are most likely to wait are the people who have been convinced that they need him. Oh, I feel sorry. I feel sorry for those of you who have got lots of natural gifts and talents. Oh, I, I, my heart breaks for those of you who are, who are good-looking and who, and who have a winsome way with people and, and you're, 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 you're just, you're just you, 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 people gather around you naturally and you just, you just smile and, and people, I feel sorry for you because you're going to find it so hard to understand that your best efforts are like dirty rags. And it's those of us who know that we haven't got anything 
It's those of us that, you know, that we, we've tasted failure again and again and again. When you get to that place, it gets much easier. It really does to learn, well, either you do it, God, or we're in real trouble. And actually, after a while, it becomes fun to put yourself in the place where you have to say, you've got to do it, God, or we're in real trouble. I mean, you start organizing conferences that have loads and loads of gaps, that if the Lord doesn't do anything, we're in real trouble. They want their money back. Well, they won't get their money back, but they'll want it. <laughs> and you know, there's something about understanding that without him, there, we have poverty. Without him, we have nothing. Without him, we are empty. And you know, I've puzzled for years about, have you noticed that often God seems to use, um, in extraordinary ways, sometimes utterly broken people? People that mess up. People, and it's like, why, Lord? Why, Lord? And I wonder if part of it is, is that maybe the, those who are just, who got life fairly sorted or think they have, you know what? It's very hard to let go of control. It's very hard to let go of control. And the honest truth is, I, I absolutely believe in the anointing of the Lord. We're going to pray that the Lord anoints us. But for some of us, if not many of us, we don't need more anointing. We need to start moving in the anointing that we have. We need to start moving in the anointing that we have. For one or two of us, I wonder if the Lord wants to say, how many times do you want me to anoint you? How many, how many more times? Now do it. Now move in it. And do you know what? In the end, it's all about being a people of his presence. I just, the psalmist knows all about that. I'm just going to read you a few quotes. Just a few quotes. David Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And then again, Psalm 84, verses 1 and 2. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And then Psalm 42, verse 1, on a similar vein, as the deer pants for streams of water. And this isn't wanting a nice little drink. This is in the desert. As the deer pants for streams of water in the desert, so my soul pants or longs for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Psalm 84, verse 10. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And then I love this one. Right at the end of Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You will fill me with joy in your presence. It's, there's a season of joy coming in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of, of, of the brokenness of our world. There's a season of joy coming, and the joy only comes in his presence. You know, the Lord, the Lord doesn't come to make us comfortable. That was never his mission. The, the Lord doesn't come to make life easy. He comes to make life joyful. And the joy is in his presence. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And there's, you know, there's a joy when your life is given over to him. There really is. There's a joy when it's completely, yeah. And then Psalm 51 in the middle of, of David's psalm of repentance, after the Nathan the prophet came to him and revealed his secret sin, 
he says this, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. You know, when, when, you, when you know his presence, when you learn his presence, when you breathe his presence, do you know what? When that happens, you yearn for it. It becomes catching. It becomes, if I can put it like this, Moorish. It really does. The, the, more, the more you dwell in his presence, the more you long to dwell in his presence. And the thing is this, the power is in his presence. That's why I, I was, I've been reading through Acts in preparation for this, and I do that every year. And uh, it's amazed me again. You know, if, if you read the disciples in, in, um, in the Gospels, you know, at a time, some of you have heard me say this before, forgive me just this little bit, I'll say it again. You know, at a time when uh, the top rabbis, they would go, to the Oxford and Cambridge of rabbinical universities, Yale and Harvard for you guys, when they would go to the, the Oxbridge of rabbinical universities and they would look for the best of the best of the best to be their disciples, to finish their rabbinical education before they could become rabbis too. Do you know what rabbi, every, all the best rabbis did that except one. Jesus didn't go to Oxbridge, and we, again, I don't have any problem with a good university education. I think, um, I think Oxford is a great university, I'm told. Um, Andy went to Cambridge, and, um, um, and you know, I, I work with someone who got a first-class honours degree in theology from Cambridge. He got a first in Cambridge, and I got a driving licence. <laughs> Second attempt. And, and, uh, and do you know, it's not about being anti-intellectual. It's not about being anti-study. But you know what? We've got to get away from looking for the best of the best of the best. Rabbi Jesus, Rabbi Jesus went to the Sea of Galilee and he pinked a bunch of morons. They really were. There was Peter. Whenever he opened his mouth, he put his foot in it. He could, he could never seem to say the right thing. You know, one minute he says the right thing by accident, and Jesus says, you are rocky. And Peter's thinking, I'm going to be in a movie. And then the very next sentence, Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. It's like, I came that close to getting good marks, and I've messed it up. There were James and John, nicknamed Sons of Thunder, not because they had digestive problems, but almost certainly because they had bad tempers. And if you read their story, it was a nightmare. I mean, John, bless him. You know, he was, he was selfishly ambitious. You know, Jesus has just told them, oh, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die a cruel death. And he and his brother James go up to him quietly and they say, could you do us a favor? And I bet Jesus might have been thinking, oh, bless them. They're going to ask me not to go to the cross because they love me so much. And, and John says, after you've done all that and died that gruesome death and bled and suffocated and all of that, once you've risen from the dead, could we just have the best places? <laughs> you know, no wonder the other disciples were angry. And then John was vengefully violent. He was vengefully violent. Do you remember Jesus sent some people to a Samaritan village to, to, you know, to ask for a cup of tea or whatever it was? The Greek isn't clear. And, uh, and, um, and he goes, he sends them and they come back and the Samaritans say no because you're going to Jerusalem and so we're not going to give you anything. And then John and his brother James, they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, should, should we call down far from heaven to burn them up? And it just says, Jesus rebuked them. Don't you sometimes wish the book was a DVD? I wish, I'd love to know how he rebuked them. I wonder if it was, guys, you... You were on your phones during the Sermon on the Mount, weren't you? You were, you were tweeting when you should have been listening, weren't you? I didn't come so that we might burn up Samaritan villages. I came so that people wouldn't be burnt. I came for the other reason. And then John was excessively competitive. Excessively competitive. Do you know, 
right at the end of his gospel in John chapter 20. It says, read it, it's amazing. It says, Jesus has just risen from the dead. That the central point in human history. He's just risen from the dead. And do you know what John says? When Mary Magdalene told Peter and me, the disciple whom Jesus loved, we started running for the tomb. And I ran faster than Peter. You know, it's like, this is the central moment in human history. And for some bizarre reason, you felt it vital that everyone should know for posterity that you could do the 100 meters faster than Peter. And then what makes it even more bizarre is the last verse of the gospel, the very last verse of the gospel, he says, Jesus said and did loads of other things, and if you wrote them all down, I suppose all the books wouldn't be able to hold them. So basically, John, you're saying that you left some things out that Jesus said and did, but you felt it vital to leave in that you're a faster runner than Peter. And this is who Jesus had to work with. This was his raw flipping material. And he chose them. He chose them. Thomas. Oh, we may as well go and die with him. Oh, it's terrible. Oh, I'm not going to believe that. Oh, this is... I mean, there's one in every church, isn't there? <laughs> Don't they drain the life out of you? There's one in every... Oh, it's all... No, I knew it wasn't going to... Oh, dear. Oh, it's just... Oh. And it's like... Jesus, you chose him. And you invested three years in Tom and John Boy and Jamie and Pete and Andy, and Simon, the zealot terrorist, and Matt, the traitor. In fact, the only one of all those disciples who had any get up and go, who had any proper training, who had any organizational skills, who had any understanding of finance, was Judas. And he invested in them, and he loved them, and he was committed to them, and he chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong, the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, and he still does. And it's when you know you're weak and you're foolish that everything changes. Because you know there's no choice but to rely on him, but to rest in him. I was uh, amazed. As, uh, you, know, you know, isn't it amazing with these scriptures? Um, you can read something a hundred times, two hundred times. And, and then you read it one more time and you think, how did I miss this? There's something about the Bible that does this. You know... You, you can tell from the Gospels, well, I think you can tell, that, number one, Pete and John definitely had a rivalry, and it was both ways. I mean, John wanted us to know he was a faster runner than Pete, and then he also records that Pete was asking Jesus, well, well what's going to happen to him? And then Jesus says, well, that's not got nothing to do with you, Peter. What happens to him? And all of that. There was, there was a little bit of... You know, I mean, they were probably competitors in the Sea of Galilee. I mean, they were two sets of brothers fishing in the same lake. That, that, if that doesn't lead to rivalry, I don't know what does. But do you know what? After the day of Pentecost, I love this. Peter and John were going together to the temple courts to pray. They were going together. They didn't have to. They were wandering into Dick together. And there was a lame man, a beggar. Uh, being put at the gate beautiful and they heal him and then a crowd gathers and I love Peter's response just listen to this while the man held on to Peter and John all the people were astonished this is um, Acts 3 verse 11 all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's colonnade when Peter saw this he said to them Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Do you know what I never noticed until a few days ago? Do you notice how Peter deflects everything? everything to Jesus. Listen, um, when Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this God walk? It was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then he says, and then he says, by faith in the name of Jesus. He doesn't even say, by our faith in the name of Jesus. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. He writes himself out of the story. And do you know, you, if, it was, if it was me, and, and I was, yes, well, let me explain to you what happened, because I want you to learn. I was... I was, you know, walking through the gate beautiful, and, and then I just noticed this man, and I just thought, hey, hey, I think I noticed this man. I think there's something going to happen. I went over to him, and this was how I was feeling at the time, and ah, just this faith came over me, and, and I just spoke the word of authority, and he started walking, and well, I mean, it's just all in a day's work, really. It's all in a day's work. Do you notice what, what Peter does? He takes himself out of the story. He totally glorifies Jesus. And you know, you do that the more you realize that you have nothing. When you realize you have nothing, and he's, he, wasn't being, he wasn't trying to be humble, I don't think. He was like, this is it. And I just read um, again earlier on, um, you know, at the home of Cornelius, when, when Peter arrived and Cornelius bowed before him, and Peter immediately said, don't do that. I'm just an ordinary human being like you. You know what? There's, there's something when you realize it's, how did you do that, Lord? How did you do that? I've no idea how you, how did you do that again? You leave us speechless. And you know what? That leads to Gratitude. And that leads to praise, and that leads to honoring him, and that leads to greater dependence and trust in him. And the issue, the issue for many of us is will we give up control? Will we give up control? Especially church leaders. There are loads of churches now that... uh, um, a charismatic in name only that believe in the gifts and the power of the Spirit but don't move in the gifts and the power of the Spirit. There's many Christians who are charismatic in name only. We believe in the gifts and the power of the Spirit but we don't move in the gifts of the power and, and the power of the Spirit. And the honest truth is it's, it's, it's not rocket science. It's, it's being willing to risk failure. It's being willing. When your longing for God to move gets bigger than your fear of failure, then you'll go for it. Then you'll go for it. It's like, if you don't move, Lord, all we've got is the sum total of our gifts. And that'll get us somewhere if we're particularly gifted. But it will leave a longing in our hearts because our hearts were made. Our hearts were made for him. Our hearts were made for intimacy with him. My last scripture. And then we're just going to make some space. Hebrews chapter 4. I'm, I'll, read, I'll read the first bit. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, 
let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, who we, now we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Therefore, still, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David, as in the passage already quoted. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Now, I know that theologically, that's talking mainly about salvation. Just as uh, he, at the end of creation, God rested on the seventh day, at the end of salvation, uh, the, salva the, the salvation that was won for us on the cross, he said, it is finished. And he entered his rest. And just as we can't do anything to add to his creation, so we can't do anything to add to our salvation. But in Scripture, uh, in, in the biblical mindset, there are layers of meaning. That is the obvious and final and ultimate meaning. But one of the other meanings, I believe, that, that, that is implied uh, in this is, is we, need, we need to rest from our labors. That doesn't mean we become lazy and stop working, but that means we, we rest from trying to make it happen. It is finished. He did it. He did it. And entering into his rest is to enter into peace, is to enter into peace. In a few minutes, we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to begin to move among us. And I have no idea what he's going to do, but I'm, I'm excited because I know him. I know him. And whatever he does is fine. And it, do you know what? It takes all the pressure away. It takes all the pressure. It's like, I don't have to do it. I don't have to, I don't have to build up faith. I don't have to say the right things. I don't, you know what? Even when I say the wrong things, God, you're going to go ahead. And there's something about learning to live life like that throughout the day. Throughout the day. Lord, I want to walk through this day in your presence. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. Lord, I want to walk through this day resting in you, practicing the presence of God. I want to walk through this day asking you, what are you doing? What are you doing? We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to do. That means that while I was asleep last night, he was preparing good works for me to do. And he was hiding them in different places. So you know what? What changes is you, if you understand that, it's like, well, what good works have you prepared? It's, I just got to discover them. Have you hid in Sainsbury's with, with the person at the, at the checkout till? Is there a good work there, Lord? Is there? And do you know what? It's, it's, it's having a mindset of joining in with him, of joining in with him, and, and asking at the beginning of the day, give me revelation. May I see the angels camped around. May I constantly be looking for the cloud the size of a, a man's hand in the blue sky. May I, may I long for you to move. And you know what? When they were filled with the Spirit, something changed. 
they had three years of discipleship and they had, then they had a moment of anointing and equipping and we need both and we need both. As a guy called Blaine Cook who used to work with John Wimber and God used him in, in just the most remarkable ways and, uh, it, and uh, he was one of my heroes, is one of my heroes and a friend and um, I, I asked him once because I saw when, when he did stuff a lot more happened and one, one time in annoyance I said why, why is it that the Lord does more when you pray than when I pray? And um, his answer was, because I have a high expectation that God will use me, Mike. You don't. You don't. And what he meant by that is, I'm always looking. I'm always listening. And it's amazing the number of times he'd be in tune. And do you know what? This guy, I want this anointing. I'm desperate. He has an anointing that is the most wonderful anointing. He has anointing for giving profound prophetic words over meals. I can't think of any greater combination. <laughs> I'm jealous for that. You know, I was sitting in a, 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 a very cheap Mexican restaurant in California with him. And we were just chatting. And as we were chatting, he just starts to speak into my life things he couldn't possibly have known, things that I'd just been praying about. And it was like just so matter of fact. And I was like... <laughs> and then he carries on eating his burrito. I remember when I so wanted to know the secret of, of, of how God used him. that um, He lives in Laguna Beach. Um, and um, I, I, I invited myself to stay at his house for a few days. And I took, I took my friends Matt and Beth Redman with me um, so that we could try and discover the secret together. And, uh, and do you know, I remember we, we came down for breakfast and we were sitting there. And uh, as we were chatting over breakfast, he starts speaking prophetically to Beth. Things that she started crying and then me and Matt started crying. Because there were things that he said that we, we knew. We were the only ones that knew. It was incredible. Then uh, there was a, a, about three years ago, um, he came here for a weekend for our church. And, and we collected him from the airport, Andy and I. And we went somewhere. Where did we go? Doesn't really matter. What? We went, to, we took him to Pizza Express. He, literally, he just landed from California. And we hadn't even taken him to, we took him to Pizza Express for lunch. And we were just chatting. And Andy just asked him a question about, what was your question? You can't remember. How can I stop being afraid of, of you know, in ministry times or whatever? Um, or how can I stop being afraid of Mike, I think, was what you were wanting to ask. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 you know, and then Blaine, he, first time he met him. And he starts, he starts saying to him, there's this thing going on in your life. There's this thing in your background. There's this thing. Andy was so shaken that he couldn't come to the first meeting. Um, we had to leave him. And he was wandering around the park all on his own all afternoon <laughs> trying, trying to come. How did this happen? And Blaine would be like, yeah. And all, I realized all he does is he's just open, listening. And it's a learning thing. It's a learning to listen. It's a learning to be in his presence. It's a learning to enter into his rest. And it's great flipping fun. It is. It's such fun. When you see God at work. And so often, you know, I'll say this and I'll stop. I promise. The best ones are when they happen by accident. You know, it's a complete accident. You just think, there's no way. There's no way. We had it in our church um, a few weeks ago, just before Christmas. And we have a couple of recovery groups in our church where, um, you know, folk are recovering from addictions. And it's amazing things are happening. Amazing things are happening. But one of the things we do is we celebrate um, when something happens. And just before Christmas, there was a lady. You guys told me that it was, that Sunday was her first anniversary of being drug and alcohol free. I've forgotten her name. Are you here? Oh, there you are. You're here. 
You're here. I'm sorry, I should have pointed you out again. What's your name again? I forgot your name. What? Lisa. Lisa. Lisa, where she's here. And, um, you know, and so, and so um, I announced in the notices, I said, Lisa, would you stand up? And I said, it's the first anniversary of Lisa being alcohol and drug-free. And the whole church went absolutely crazy. Everyone was clapping and cheering. And it was just, it just was a moment that like, oh. Do you know, here's the amazing bit. The amazing bit was the following Wednesday, I had a letter. You might be here as well for all I know. Uh, I had a letter from another lady in the church, an email, an email from another lady in the church. And she said to me, Sunday morning, I bought my stepsister to church for the first time. First time ever she'd been to church. And the thing is, she's seven months free of alcohol abuse. And when you did that, my stepsister turned to me and she started to weep. And she said, is that what you do in your church for people like me? You celebrate people like me. Something flipping changed. Of course we would. Why? Of course we would. Of course we would. And it was like, you, you know, you sit there and you think, I couldn't have planned that in a million years. You know, how would you do that? And that keeps happening. And Jesus keeps doing it. And it's wonderful. And you know, when, when that happens more and more, you, you actually start not to presume, but you do start to expect you do start to expect. It's like I have a high expectation that God will use me, said Blaine. Do you know, I wasn't going to tell everyone. Um, <laughs> all right, we weren't going to tell you this, but I, I, it fits. This is the last. Well, I hope this is right. It's too late now. Um, <laughs> You know, we've been going for um, 27 years. This church has been going for 26 years. And um, um, I'll just tell this story. Uh, in our second year, our second year, we started with 11 of us. And um, in our second year, um, uh, we were hiring halls. And we were hiring a PA system and lights. And there was this young guy um, who looked after the PA hire and the lights. And um, he took the, um, uh, we put the PA away, put them in the back of his dad's car. He drove it home. That night, that Friday night, it was, he got back really late. And um, instead of, um, instead of um, taking the PA system out of the car, putting it in the house, he thought, I'll just back the car up against the garage and um, um, I'll... Um, you know, and then I'll take it first thing in the morning. Well, the next morning, uh, he woke up, he went downstairs, and he found that someone had smashed the windows and stolen the PA equipment. And because it was left in the car, it wasn't insured, and it was worth three and a half thousand pounds. And he phoned me. I'll never forget that phone call on the Saturday morning. And he said, I don't know how to tell you this, da-da-da. And I said to him, Dave, don't, don't do anything for an hour. Let me get my head around this. And the honest truth is, I wish I could tell you, I sat there and I, you know, I was just, oh, Lord, Lord, we, we name and claim and I stand on the victory and all of that. All I could do was, oh, this is the end. Before we've even started, this is the end. We haven't got 350 pounds. This is the end, the end of the story. Oh, dear, this has all gone wrong. And then at about 11 a.m., it was about 11 a.m., um, a Christian businessman, um, I don't think he'll mind me saying, um, 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 no, I won't say, I won't say. Um, a Christian, okay, I'm not going to say, don't worry. Um, um, a, a Christian businessman who'd recently become a Christian, he'd recently become a Christian, I didn't know him very well. Um, we talked a, a few times, and he'd never phoned me, and he phoned me. And um, um, he was agitated, and he said, I got your number from St. Andrew's Chorley Wood, and I had to phone you because as I was driving um, from Aylesbury to Amersham on the A41, the Lord spoke to me, and he's never spoken to me like this before. And he said to me, I was to phone you this morning and tell you that today I'm going to put a check in the post to you for three and a half thousand pounds. And there is a message that comes with it. And the message is, 
never let money stop what you're doing with young people. Now, I tell you, we have lived on that for years. We have told each other stories. We have told each other stories. And we have, we have just, you know, like, isn't that amazing? And regularly, regularly, I'm, I'm hopeless with money, with raising money. I'm good at spending it, but I'm not good at uh, getting hold of it. And regularly, at certain crucial times, God has provided. Well, um, to cut a long story very short, uh, uh, well, shorter than it would otherwise have been. Not very short, really, because I can't do short. Um, but you know, that there was um, 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 about three and a half, just over three years ago, um, I was speaking at two conferences in Singapore, and um, there was a weekend in between, and I left it free, and I was going to go. I was planning to go to this Malaysian island so I could have three-day holiday, seeing as I'd gone all that way. And then when it got nearer, I looked at the price of getting to the Malaysian island. I looked at the price of three days at this resort, and I thought I can't justify it, and I haven't got the money. And so I knew there was a church in Kuala Lumpur um, that I'd been to a few times, and. Um, uh, um, you know, and so I just sent them a little message because I it was like, I need somewhere to stay <laughs> for the weekend. So um, I said, you know, if, if you, I, I, the, the weekend's free. Um, if you can use me, then let me know. And they wrote back and said, yeah, come and preach on Sunday. And so I thought, oh, I've got somewhere to stay. And so I went. And on Sunday morning, this, um, this Malaysian businessman walked in with his wife. And he came up to me and he said, I was away on business abroad. But when I knew you were going to be here, the Lord told me I was to come and, um, and meet you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and then he said, come for dinner tonight after the service. So we went for dinner. And then um, I knew he was very wealthy. And because uh, um, they told me, and uh, um, um, and then just before the, um, and then during the meal, he turned to me and he said, "Tell me, Mike, what are your needs? What are the needs of your ministry?" And I said, "Look, um, I know you're wealthy, and I decided before I came that I wasn't going to ask you for money. I don't want to be one of those people that asks for money. We're doing fine." And then he said, you're not asking me for money. I'm asking you what your needs are. And I said, no, we're fine. We're fine. And then he got irritated. And he said, look, this is my email address. Send me an email telling me what your needs are. So I phoned home. And we composed an email, thinking of everything that we could spend money on. And, uh, <laughs> and I sent him the email a few days later. He and his wife, um, they, they, um, they, they, wrote, they wrote back. And they said, we feel the Lord's told us that we're to give you £100,000 a year for the next five years for your ministry, which was amazing. It was like, it was like, that's amazing, Lord, because, you know, it was like, we want to train young people. That's how I can afford to have interns. That's how we, we can afford to do all sorts of things we couldn't otherwise do. And, uh, and that was amazing. And two years ago in January, we had the first 100000 Last year, we had the second 100000 This January, no money came through. And I was like, oh, no. Because we're closing the festivals in the summer, they've decided to stop giving the money. <gasps> I've already spent it, you know, in my head. And it's like, oh dear, what are we going to do? And then I had a message, and the message was, um, we're in England this, um, this week, uh, could you come for tea? So I went into last Wednesday, on this last Wednesday gone, I went for tea, and... Uh, um, you know, they were very nice, and I was waiting for them to tell me, we're just going to be nice, tell you nicely, but we're not going to give you any more. And it was like, okay, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. No, it won't, no, it won't. No, you know that stuff. And I wish I'd learned, but it was like, it'll be fine, no, it won't, it'll be fine. And then right at the end, he said, well, b before you go, I better write the check. And I was like, yes, Lord, thank you, thank you. But I was like, oh, what check, you know? <laughs> And, and then he wrote this check, and he put it in an envelope, and then he, they gave it to me, they prayed for me, and then I left. And I went down in the lift, I went round the corner, and I was just outside Great Portland Street Station, when I thought, I just want to see what it looks like. What do you know? Because, I mean, it's not often you, you know. And I opened the envelope, and it was a check for half a million pounds. For 500,000 pounds. And the amazing thing is, we have been... I'm not going to say desperate, 
we're doing this building thing. This is all going to be knocked down, um, and we, you know, and it's going to be five and a half million pounds because we can't fit anymore. And there's things that we want to do in the meantime. And and like we were like, oh, where's the money going to come from? And I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I was panicking again, and I was, oh no, it's the end. It's the end. Oh dear. And do you know what? We still need a few miracles. But do you know what one of my friends, one of my colleagues said to me? Mike, you know what this means, don't you? I said, what? And he said, it means our Father is looking after us. It means we can trust him. It means he is looking after us. And I've never asked them for money. But God whispered to them. It's the only thing I can think. He whispered to them. And it's the same with healing. It's the same with ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. If we enter into his rest, we have to make space for him to move. We have to. And do you know what? Either he does or he doesn't. And if he doesn't, nobody dies. If you think God gives you a word, here's your choice. You can either not give the word because you might be wrong, or you can give the word because you might be right. I've tried the not giving the word because I might be wrong, and I'll be honest with you, that doesn't get you very far. But giving the word in case, just in case you might be right, what happens is you either find out you're wrong or you find out you're right. It's either the Lord or it isn't. Doing it the other way, you never find out. Making space in any kind of meeting for Holy Spirit, do what you want. If you don't make space, if you don't plan to give God room, if you don't like a good wine, let, let, let it breathe, as it were, if you don't do that, guess what? Nothing will happen. If you do do that, sometimes amazing things will happen. And what it is, it's not for our entertainment. It's for people's salvation. These are high stakes. We need his power. We need the power of his love. Not to entertain us but so that people might be saved. Nick's going to tell us, um, Nick and Kerry, I don't know how you're going to do it between you or Nick, some stories from what they do on the streets in San Diego. And I love the stories, but I want some stories. And so the only way is to get rid of my fear of failure and say, go on, Lord, either you do it or you don't. This has been ridiculously long. I promise I will never speak this long again.